Good morning. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we are thankful that you're with us in what we call our living room. Today we are in the second to last week of this series that we've been calling Bold, and uh, where we've been walking through the life of Peter. Uh, Peter, who was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, a close friend of Jesus while he walked this earth. And um, this morning we'll be in Acts 10. So if you have a Bible in front of you, go there, and we'll get there eventually. If you need a good Bible, grab one off Guest Connections on your way out, all right? As a kid growing up, um, or if you're a student in here, did you ever think that a teacher played favorites? Like that kid next to you, always just seemed to be first in line or get the good grade or just seemed to be accepted and loved by the teacher more than you. Just They got the sticker, they got the smiley face, they got the whatever it was. And but it just seemed like that student could do no wrong in the teacher's eyes. And it really frustrated you that this teacher seemed to play favorites. And depending on your personality, you, you responded to this supposed favoritism in one of two ways. You either rebelled and you were like, forget that. And you rejected any attempts to gain the teacher's affections or, or, or to uh, uh, gain their approval of any way. You rebelled. You're like, I'm not going to stoop to that level. And so in effect, you went in the, into the absolute opposite direction of trying to please them and instead you're characterized by uh, disobedience or rebellion. Or some of you respond, responded to this supposed favoritism by, by trying to gain the favor of the teacher through your actions and behavior. A question would get asked and you'd be, your hand would shoot up, I know, I know, I know, I know. Or you were especially complimentary to the teacher of, oh, I really like your shoes or, oh, I, I like your hair today or something like that. You tried to get really good grades. Uh, you tried to get your assignments turned in. You just wanted to be this star student in, in hopes of gaining the affection or the, uh, the attention of the teacher. Or maybe it wasn't a teacher, but with a parent, and you had siblings, and one just seemed to be illuminated in a holy light or something, and you were like, man, how do I get some of that light onto me? And once again, you either rejected it, gave mom and dad trouble to say the least, and you rebelled against authority in your life, or you tried to get mom and dad to notice you, not with your rebellion, but with your stellar public displays of obedience. You tried to shine like a star in hopes that mom and dad would love you or gain, you'd, you'd gain their approval. Same kind of scenario might have played out with, with a coach you had. You felt like you were getting the short end of the stick, so you became passive-aggressive toward him or her, and, and you went through stuff halfway at practice because you thought to, you thought to yourself, if the coach plays favorites, then why even bother? Or you worked really, really hard, tried to ask the right questions at the right time and be a great teammate in hopes that the coach would notice you and give you some, uh, some playing time or a shot in the game. Have you ever thought to yourself, does God play favorites? I mean, when you look around, it just seems that he, he loves that person over there more than he does me. And, or it's as if that person was born a Christian, like in the delivery room. I mean, once the halo came out, then delivery was just smooth sailing after that. Or, or this baby, instead of crying, they just came out singing, How great thou art. I mean, they just started singing. Just there's, or, or the doctors had to do a C-section because the halo was just so big and so bright. If you're not a follower of Christ here today, have you ever thought that this news about Jesus, this good news was just for the so-called good people? You thought to yourself, Jesus really only loves and died for the one, uh, for that man or woman who didn't do any drastic or so-called big sins in their life. Or they heard about Jesus early on or they grew up in a Christian home and, well, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so 
That good news must not apply to me. And so maybe this morning you're, you're here and you might believe that there's a God, but, but Jesus is not your Lord and Savior yet. And you find yourself maybe believing this idea that God plays favorites. And well, it doesn't seem like you're one of his favorites. And so the philosophy goes, same, same one that you took with a teacher or a parent or a coach is the one you're taking with Creator God. In your life right now, you're either rebelling against God, hard toward the things of God. Uh, for example, your spouse invites you to church and you're like, forget that. I'm on the outside looking in. I'm not one of his favorites. And so why bother trying to please this God that seems far off to me? It doesn't seem to care. Or you're here and you're operating out of this assumption, living out of this assumption that if you just raise your hand every time a question gets asked or try to do all the teacher, or in this case, God wants you to do, then you'll be good. That you'll be accepted by God and loved and received by Him if you just do enough good in your life to outweigh the bad or just kind of cover up the bad. Neither of those assumptions are correct. One truth we'll find here in Acts 10 is that God does not play favorites. He does not show favoritism. Today we're calling the message the bold gospel. The message of Jesus is bold and is for all people. And we'll see that truth play out in the story that we'll look at today. That this message about Jesus wasn't intended for just the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. In other words, that's all of us, the whole world. So the early church has begun in Acts. Thousands are now a part of the church. Peter and the apostles are serving as leaders of the early church. The church is growing and reaching more. Last week, we looked at the bold courage of this young church that faced persecution and attack for their faith in Christ. The religious leaders who had been a part of crucifying Jesus still wanted this movement to to be killed, to end. They got to the point in Acts 5 of flogging, whipping, uh, beating the apostles and then commanding them to stop talking about Jesus. But even that did not stop this good news of Jesus from spreading. The end of Acts 5 says that day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Then in Acts 6, we read about how as the, this church was growing, there was gaps in the ministry that were happening. And for example, the ministry to the Grecian Jewish widows was being neglected and missed. The apostles then chose leaders who would take on this ministry so that the, the apostles, their focus would remain on teaching and preaching the word, the word of God. As a result of leaders being raised up and effective ministry happening, Acts 6-7 says, the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. In other words, growth was occurring because ministry was expanding. The body of Christ was serving, ministering, uh, loving the body of Christ. Then you see in the rest of Acts 6 and chapter 7, the, the persecution and killing of Stephen, who is a man full of God's grace and power. He gets stoned, and at his stoning, Saul was there proving of his death, which is a fact that will come in, in importance here in a couple chapters. Then Acts 8 opens up telling us that as a result of Stephen being martyred, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And Saul began going from house to house, dragging off men and women of the faith, men and women of God, putting them in prison. And as a result, the apostles were scattered throughout the areas of Judea and Samaria. So as these leaders and the church is scattered amidst the persecution, it continues to grow and expand. The reality of what uh, Gamaliel, the Pharisee, said in Acts 5 is coming to pass. That if the apostles' purpose and activity is from God, that nothing will be able to stop these men. 
that no amount of persecution will be able to stop the movement. That, that truth remains yet today. Even now, the fastest growing churches, the fastest growing movements of God around the world are often associated with the areas that face the greatest persecution and attack for their faith. We talked about this website last week, onewiththem.com, onewiththem.com, all about the persecuted church globally. It expands our worldview. It kind of lifts our eyes beyond Woodford County. I'd, I'd encourage you to check that out to figure out how we can be praying for our brothers and sisters around the world who are facing persecution like uh, we talked about in Acts 5. So this Pharisee of Pharisees, Saul, is leading the attack on the early church. But then you read in Acts 9 that Saul has a dramatic encounter with Jesus. He gets saved. The story gets rewritten. And Jesus says this about Saul. Acts 9, verse 15, This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Paul does this 180-degree turn as a follower of Jesus. He repents, he turns, he has a change of action and a change of mind, and now he's living for Christ. So then Saul begins preaching in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And then you read that when Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the, the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. That's understandable, given his track record. But Barnabas, the pastor, the encourager, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Notice that boldness and fearlessness are also a part of Saul's new ministry as well. This wasn't just Peter. This wasn't just the apostles or the early church. Now it's in Saul as well. It was in all of them, and it should be in us, because they were following Jesus, who demonstrated a bold life, who boldly went to the cross to die for our sin, who boldly rose again on the third day, proving that he was God. And as a result of Saul, later in Acts 13, they'll start to call him Paul, but as a result of him meeting Jesus and beginning to follow Jesus as Lord and Messiah, we learn the church throughout the region enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers. It multiplied living in the fear of the Lord, Acts 9.31. Up until this point, the, this good news, the gospel message was directed at the Jews. This was the target audience of the, of the apostles. The believing Jews were the only ones subscribed to Peter's podcast at this, at this point. They were the only one following Peter's tweets and the hashtags he was using. Hashtag resurrection, hashtag, hashtag repent and believe, hashtag get baptized, hashtag make disciples, hashtag I am the rock. That's like when his ego would come up. That's when he'd, he'd tweet that one, right? But in Acts 10, we'll see this major shift take place. See this massive shift take place. Now, we saw in Acts 9.15 that Jesus tells Paul that he will be the one to take the name of Jesus to the Gentiles. Paul will take the missionary trips, the first being in Acts 13. And these trips will reach throughout the region to the Gentiles. But in Acts 10, we'll read that the first person who, that God uses to take the gospel message to the Gentiles will not be Paul, but it'll be Peter. And so here's the story, Acts 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what, in what was known as the Italian regiment. So Cornelius is a prominent man, a wealthy man, a man of influence. As a centurion, he led a group of 100 Gentile soldiers that were stationed there in Judea. 
He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Cornelius knew the God of Israel. He was still Gentile, and he hadn't converted to uh, Jewish rites such as circumcision. He worshiped the God of the Bible, though. And you see a couple examples of the fruit of his faith in God through two things, through his generosity toward the poor and his prayer life. He had this ongoing living relationship with God. It was personal, it was prayerful, but it, it was also outward. And it was impacting what he did with his time, what he did with his money. It wasn't just this private faith, him and God. It was, it was public, it was going outward. And now we'll see God sovereignly step in into this action and bring Cornelius and Peter together to launch the mission to the Gentiles. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a, as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a, na- a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now, uh, up on the screen, there's a, there's a uh, map of some of these cities to give you an idea of how this all kind of goes down. Peter's in Joppa, and then Cornelius is 30 miles north in Caesarea. No, notice how detailed the angel got in his instructions. Go to Joppa, find a man named Simon who's called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner as if it's just to make it more challenging and more interesting, like, oh, let's... Let's come up with more names that start with Simon to keep the story straight. Our God is a God of details. He's coordinating everything to bring about His plan. And our God still works in this way to this day. Our God is always at work. He's continually drawing people to Himself using circumstances, relationships, details, orchestrating out His plans and purposes in this world. If you're here and you don't know Jesus yet, may I remind you that He is at work in your life, that you're not here by accident, you're not listening by accident. The God of the Bible is at work in your life. My encouragement to you is not to miss it. Don't write it off as coincidence. Don't write it off as, oh, yeah, that's kind of weird, that's kind of odd. Or don't write off that uneasiness in your spirit as a result of the burrito you ate last night. Be open to His voice and work in your life. The bold gospel is for all people, including you. And if you're here and you're a follower of Christ, may I encourage you and I that we can be confident of this truth, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, Philippians 1.16. Our God always finishes what he starts. In Acts 10, we read of where the, the mission to the Gentiles starts. And we sit here in 2013 in Eureka, in central Illinois, caught up in the same mission that he's continually inviting us to join him on. So the Lord speaks to Cornelius and sets in motion this plan. Then he will speak to Peter and set in motion uh, Peter's part in the expansion of the bold gospel to the Gentiles. Verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. It's noon. It's lunchtime. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four, four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as, re- as well as reptiles and birds. 
Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Keep in mind, these animals that Peter sees in his dream are not necessarily suitable for a Jew to eat. Part of the law laid out in Leviticus says that these are off limits. And God calls Peter to take food that he could not eat because he was a Jew. Get up, Peter, kill and eat. And so as a result of where Peter's coming from, he says, surely not, Lord. Peter replied, I've, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Peter had to be thinking, no way, Lord, I'm not going out like that again. I denied you after your arrest. I felt the temptation there. I'm not doing it again. I know the law, I know the law and as a Jewish person, I need to honor the law. I have to get this right this time. Verse 15, the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. This dream is signaling to Peter's heart that the Jewish boundaries against the Gentiles no longer exist. The former restrictions have been lifted and and he can now minister, he can now reach the Gentiles. These ceremonial laws and restrictions were not to get in the way of fellowship between Jews and Gentiles because Christ is all. It was no longer uh, Greek or Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised, but Christ is all and in all, Colossians 3.11. The gospel had to move beyond the Jews. So the same truth gets repeated three times. It's as if Peter needs to hear it three times, really emphasizing this point because this is a major change to where these apostles are coming from. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, was, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up, go downstairs, do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. God knows that there's just going to be this lingering doubt in Peter's mind about this whole thing. So don't hesitate, Peter. As your God, I'm not hesitating at all. I need the news of Jesus to go to the ends of the earth, to every people. So don't balk at this, Peter. Don't get timid on me. Stay bold. You're out to please me and not please the religious leaders. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. So Peter is hospitable to the Gentiles. And then this marks only the third day in this series of events. God is aggressive in advancing the good news to, the, to new people. And now we'll see this culmination of the two visions, this unity between Jew and Gentile in the church and our shared mission in the body of Christ, we'll see it come together here. Verse 24, the following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. I love how Peter is very quick to not take any glory or worship from him for himself. Because let's be honest, I've never had anybody drop to my feet before, and I hope that never really happens. Um, but wouldn't there be something in us to just be like, this feels kind of, I, I like this. There's just kind of this, it would be like, huh. But you don't see any of that hesitation with Peter. 
He's really quick to dispel this idea that He is the one to be worshipped. I'm just a man. Get up. Stand up. It had to be an awkward moment. Hi, I'm Peter. He just drops. Followers of Jesus aren't the ones who boast in how awesome or righteous they are. They're the ones who continually give credit and honor back to the one who is saved and redeemed and forgiven them, the one who has done the work, the saving work. Believers know who it is they worship and love with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the object of their worship is not themselves, but it's Jesus. While, Peter, while talking with them, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are all well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? I love Peter's willingness to just be used by God. He's not even sure why he's there. He's not even sure why he's there. May I ask why you sent for me? He's just saying yes. He's just trusting the Lord will lead and fill in the details. He didn't send people up ahead, hey, find out what he needs and come back to me and then let me prepare a couple things and, and then I'll go. He doesn't say that. He just says, he just shows up, may I ask why you sent for me? In the same way, I love cross pointers who just continually say yes to the Lord, thinking, well, we, we, we've never done this before, but, but we're going to go for it because our trust is not in ourselves, but in a God who's able to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine, a God who sets the stars into motion, who created the universe. So we'll just keep saying yes as a church because we are not following Dave. We are not following the elders. We are not following the staff. We are not following a, a formula. We are following a chief shepherd, a chief shepherd that willingly laid down his life for our life, who took it back up on the third day, who is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is our chief shepherd. He is eternal. So he is who we follow. Who is, he is who we trust in. And so we just continually, our job is to submit and follow, willingly follow because he loved us that much and forgave us that much. So we just willingly follow. We just say yes. And I love Crosspointers that as a church, as a DNA of our church, for nearly 10 years, we just keep saying yes. And I pray that that would be our, we would identify with that for years to come. We would never hesitate, but we would just, okay, yes. Now, now what do you want from me, Lord? Here I am. Use me. Change me. May I ask why you sent for me, Peter says. Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. He's eager to hear this good news. Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. So a transformed life in Christ is what brings salvation. Not your upbringing, not your ethnicity, not your denomination, not your last name, not your church background or lack thereof, not the fact that you grew up in a Christian home or you didn't or you grew up in rural America or you grew up in the city. Our mission extends over the entire world because Jesus is Lord over all creation, not just some of it. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. 
you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with them. Once again, Peter's not sharing a religion. He's not sharing a formula, a system in his message. He's sharing a who, and that who is Jesus. And this Jesus was from God and had power over the enemy. He is Lord over all. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the, of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. The cross and the resurrection continue to be at the center of the message that Peter preaches. We've seen that consistently in every message that we've looked at that he's preached in the book of Acts thus far. So here at Crosspoint, they remain at the center of the messages that we preach as well. These, these themes of cross and resurrection don't just show up on Good Friday and Easter, but they're the center of our ministry. This is even one reason why, why the cross is in the middle of our church logo. To the Gentile listener, the fact that Jesus triumphed over death was a sign of his complete authority over this world, including you and me. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. So because he rose from the dead proves that he is the ultimate king and judge. All the prophets testify, testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, the Jewish believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of them being baptized with water. They received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So just like in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit is now given to and poured out on the Gentile believers as well, not just the Jewish believers. The Holy Spirit isn't just at work in one group of believers and not others, but rather He is at work in and dwelling in all followers of Christ. And the Jewish believers who would come with Peter recognized that these Gentile believers should also be baptized. Baptism is this picture that you're now in the family of God. You're in the body of Christ. Your life is now identified with Christ through baptism, and you're in the community of the church. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with him for two days, or for a few days. So just as in Acts 2, it goes down like this. Message of Jesus is preached, the cross and the resurrection. People receive it as truth. They turn from their sin. They believe and trust in Jesus and who he truly was, that he wasn't just a good man, but he was the Son of God, the risen Savior, the conquering King. They begin to follow him as Lord of their life. They go public with their faith in baptism and are identified with one another as the church. But then it doesn't stop there. Relationships continue. I love that the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write, then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. See, I, I love how Peter stays with the new Gentile believers for a few days. He doesn't just hit the road. He's just not a traveling evangelist, but he begins to share life with the people who he thought just a few days ago he couldn't even associate with. God is tearing down these man-made, man, man-made walls. Their time together, I'm sure, including eating together, including 
uh, eating meat from some hooved animals. I mean, they're going to meatheads and they're going to Smashburger and Joppa because they're hanging out together. So they're, this, this bridge between Jewish believers and gen- Gentile believers, it's not their affinity. It's not their local sports team that they choose for, uh, cheer for. It's not the, uh, their, their last name. It's not their uh, context. It's none of that because they don't have anything in common there. The only thing in common that they have is Christ. The gospel is the bridge. Jesus Christ is the bridge. And so it is with us. Christ is who unites us. His mission that He invites us to join Him on is what unites us. Verses uh, 34 and 35 in the ESV say this, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. What we learn in Acts 10 is this bold gospel message is for all people. All are welcome at the foot of the cross. All are invited to follow Jesus and turn from sin, believe on Him as their Savior, to fear God, to stand in awe of Him. And as we do that, we understand that we've fallen short of that awe. We've fallen short of that perfection. And we're in need of a Savior, and our Savior is not ourselves, but it's Jesus. And then our faith in Christ plays out as a way of life. As we seek to honor Him, as verse uh, 35 says, do what is right in His eyes, we do that through the grace that He continues to lavish on us and through the power of the Holy Spirit that He gives us at conversion. The bold gospel message says that all are welcome, that God doesn't play favorites. So, so if you're here and you're listening, you're living under this assumption that God plays favorites, it's led you to reject, to rebel against Him, to possibly just proudly disregard Him as God and think Jesus came for the, only the, the good people, whatever that means in your head. And that, well, you'll never be good. If that's you, let me remind you that none of us are born good, that none of us are born with a halo. None of us are born singing a hymn. None of us are born with the right standing with our Creator, that we've fallen short. We stand separated from our God, our Creator, because of our sin nature. Rather, Jesus announced His mission that He has come to seek and save that which was lost, that we are born lost. Apart from Christ, we are lost. He hasn't come to call the righteous, meaning the the people that think they don't need a Savior, that think they can do this on their own. He hasn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners who recognize they need a Savior. So if that's you, I invite you to turn from your sin, to put your faith in Jesus. He loves you. He's crazy about you. He created you, and you're wired to worship. You're wired to worship Him, to love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He died for you. He rose again on the third day. And through Acts 10 today, he wants you to know that the good news of Jesus is for you. And if you're here and you're, you're under this assumption that through your efforts and your good deeds that you're acceptable to God, then I invite you as well to today turn from that incorrect, that false way of thinking. Put your soul trust in Jesus for your salvation. The Jewish believers always wanted to add something to the gospel. Instead of Jesus equals salvation. They wanted to say Jesus plus circumcision equals salvation. You see this conflict and then work through that in chapters uh, Acts 11, Acts 15, and then Galatians 2. See, this message is just kind of a part of the grander story of what's happening there in the book of Acts. 
Galatians 2, for example, Paul confronts Peter because Peter has gotten timid. He, he's gotten timid about who he's really pleasing. And so Jewish believers show up and, and then he begins to retreat from Gentiles even though we're reading the story in Acts 10, that, that timidness, that fear of man has kind of crept into Peter's heart again. I'd encourage you to read Galatians 2 this week. You and I are not accepted before God because of our own righteousness, our own ability to keep the law. Instead, trying to, in, in, through trying to keep the commandments and trying to keep the law, we realize we can't. Maybe that's just me, but we realize we can't and we fall short of perfection and stand separated from God, and we need Jesus to reconcile us back to God the Father. Jesus alone saves. We are saved by grace through faith alone, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. As a church, we must remember that this bold gospel message is never intended to be kept to ourselves. It's never intended to just be kind of kept in one area of the world. Had it been that way, we wouldn't be here today. We must keep in mind Jesus' heart for the nations because that's one truth we pull from Acts 10. For example, Jesus saying this, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Or the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18-20, then Jesus said to them and came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. So we lift up our eyes. We pray that God would give us His eyes for the nations. The name of Jesus and the good news is, is intended to go to the ends of the earth. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every household in Woodford County, every household in central Illinois, to your neighbor, to your friend at school, to your coworker, to your spouse, to your child. This is why we do what we do. This news is too good and too important to not share it with others. And so we send out missionaries like Darren and Jane Freidinger who help to reach the deaf in Mexico with the hope of Jesus, who were lost without knowing Jesus. The deaf, the fourth largest unreached people group worldwide. It's an important, eternal mission. Or Todd and Missy Marsden in East Asia who are planting seeds with, with unreached people, people groups there and then within our own circles of influence, we share this good news as well, this bold gospel through our words and our way of life. God has divinely appointed you where you are to accomplish His purposes. So He's divinely appointed you in the family you were born into, the neighborhood you live in, the place that you work, the place where you go to school, the circle of friends that you have. That the, none of those things are by accident. Our God is in the details. And so he's divinely appointed you in those areas to live out and speak of this bold gospel message. We do that individually as we get sent out from these doors. We do that corporately as a church. We don't do one without the other. We do it together and we do that the other six days of the week as we go out. This is what it means to follow Jesus. As a church, we must take this message outward from our local context to the ends of the earth. God doesn't play favorites. He doesn't show partiality, and so we don't either. We say, Lord, use us to expand your kingdom, reach more. As we are devoted to you, as we love you, as we are dedicated to one another and love one another, we want to be driven to reach people with this bold news 
that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. This is the bold message that we live out and we speak of with our words. Let's pray. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Father, we are so grateful that you sent Jesus to rescue us, to, uh, to save us from ourselves, to be the hero. Lord, we don't want to be ashamed of the gospel. God, we, we want to just boldly declare that to the people around us, the people you placed into our paths. We love you because you first loved us. Help us this week speak and live out this bold gospel. Expand your kingdom. Multiply your disciples. Spread your name. We know your power is at work, so we just say, use us, Lord. Change us, renew us, transform us. Grow our love for you. Help our love for others to overflow. We, we say yes to your mission. We say, we say yes to where you're leading us, not only as a church, but just as people, as followers of you. And we love you, Jesus. We thank you that you, you don't leave us, you don't forsake us on this mission, but instead you, you empower it and you enable it. And we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.